0: My name is Derek. As I say every week, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Grab your Bible. We are going to look at the book of Revelation today. Woo. I know. Tons of fun. When I was in high school, uh, the book series came out uh, on the end times. I don't know if you remember them, the Left Behind series. Um, And I remember I read the first one, and it was awesome. And then I read the next one, and it was awesome. I, I mean, I was really addicted to these novels. And I would even put it in my lunchbox. It was summertime, and I was working construction. And so, you know, at lunch break... All the construction workers do what they do, and I would open it and sit and read this book like a nerd. Um, but it was cool because it, it, it spurred conversations. Now, I gave up after, like, the fifth book because they just drew it out. I don't know if you were alive then or read those books. But they realized they were making money on this, and so, like, the next book would take, like, one day. You know, it was awful. Um, but the, the series was based on the book of Revelation and what the end might look like. And it was, you know, exciting and fun, and it took a very literal view of the book of Revelation as it looked at it. Like, these are the things that we can expect to happen, which mirrors a real theological perspective on the book of Revelation. And it was was great, you know, for many reasons, but for me it spurred conversations with those that I was working with, right? So I'd be reading the book, oh, what's that about? And I got to talk about what it's about and about the book of Revelation, which was really cool. Uh, There's other people in our family, extended family, that were reading it and then saying, is this how it's going to happen? And it really spurred some great conversations. But in this series, right, we are in the say what series, is that really in the Bible? And so I'm going to read just a little piece, Revelation 13, starting there, and then we're going to jump back to the beginning. But Revelation 13, 11 through 18, and here's what this says. I hear pages, so I'll wait. Revelation 13. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, just so you know, if you're looking for it. It says, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Right, this is like the story of of movies, right? You watch the movies, and it's based on all this stuff, right? The the mark of the beast. Are we going to get a chip? I mean, that was around the time when I was reading these novels. There was this this uh, theory going around that they're going to make us put chips in our hands or our forehead, and that we can't. I mean, it's like a credit card, but you just put it under the skin. Well, that's the mark of the beast. So any Christian can't do that, or they're no longer a Christian. They're then going to hell because that's the mark. I mean, all this stuff. Is this really? In here, and here's the question Can we look at this and then look at what's happening and make predictions? So, this here, for those of you who don't know, is a newspaper. This is how we used to read the news, right? We actually would have them delivered to our homes. Uh, You had a a box, and it was normally blue, and they could put these in there. It was next to the mailbox. Anyway, this was how we used to get our news rather than now our phones, right? You're probably going to get some of you buzzes while you're in here of like new news, and you're like, I really need to look at that right now. Well, don't. Um, So the news. Can we read the book of Revelation and read the newspaper and go, (gasps) that's it? right? Oh, I see this piece right here. Look, the end is near. So that's the name of today's sermon. The end is near. And maybe you've heard this in your lifetime. Look at what's happening. Wars, rumors of wars, uh, famine, outbreaks, all this stuff, plagues, fires in California. The end is near. Look at all these fires in California. Can we read the news and read Revelation and predict and look at what's happening, right? So we, we looked at these right here. This mark of the beast, is it the COVID vaccine? Is Putin the Antichrist that we saw right there? There's this beast and the the Antichrist. It talks all about that in Revelation, this Antichrist. Is that Putin? Is it Biden? Is it Trump? You've probably all heard any of those options. So how should we read this, right? So here's today. Say what? Is this all in the Bible? Now, so far in the series, everything has been say what? Yeah, that's in there and we should believe it. This one is, say what? Maybe. Right? So this is going to be kind of weird. Pay attention. Say what? Is that in the... Maybe. But maybe what you think about what Revelation teaches isn't correct. Maybe you have some thinking that once we dig into, it's like, oh, this comes from something else, but maybe not actually from what was intended in this book. So, Revelation chapter 1. Turn there. Now, so far, as we've been looking at these stories, we've always looked at the context of the book, right? Genesis, we looked at creation. uh, We've looked at uh, Jonah. We've looked at the virgin birth. And all these were narrative, right? They were telling a story about what happened. The idea is that this is is giving us true history. And there's several different um, ways to read different pieces of Scripture, right? Narrative is true history. Then you have poetry, Right Or wisdom literature, you see Psalms and Proverbs. How do you read those? Sometimes there's, there's imagery in those, or again, it's poetic. Uh, things are, are, are said in a flowy way for us to understand, right? Or there's parables that Jesus taught, which are absolutely allegory. There's this is like that, there's this is like that. Well, what is a revelation? What, and how are we to read this? Well, Revelation 1, starting in verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." couple words in those verses, right? This lays it out at the beginning. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation. I, you know, we call the book Revelation, Revelation 2, John, or the re- revelation of Jesus. What's that word revelation? The Greek word is apocalypto. Maybe you've heard that, apocalypse. So why, why do we watch these movies that are all about the apocalypse and it's talking about the end? Well, it's because of the book of Revelation. The title is Apocalypse, But the word apocalypse really just means something revealed that was previously not known. It doesn't, that word doesn't mean end time, cataclysmic, whatever. It means that now because it turned into it since this. But the word means something revealed that was not previously known. And we see here in verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So this is prophecy. This is not the same as narrative. This is not the same as poetry. In fact, Revelation is unique in all of the Bible. It is closest to some of the Old Testament books of prophecy. That's the closest, but it's it's still a little bit unique. And the imagery in it mirrors some of that which we see in Daniel and Ezekiel. But it is somewhat unique, and we, we must recognize that so that we understand and read it correctly. Now, as I said, it's most like probably Old Testament prophets. Here it's a prophecy. What were the Old Testament prophets and prophecies? God would give them to a prophet a message for his people. And so, again, it was a a, thus saith the Lord. That was the role of the prophet. Very, very rarely was a prophet predicting the future. Sometimes, and in the book of Revelation, absolutely, there's a lot of future, you know, looking at future from that context. But the point of a prophet was, God says this because you need to hear this, and it always applied to the people he was speaking to. And he did it in weird ways. Um, have you ever read the book of Hosea? Hosea was a prophet who God said, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Right? right. What? Yeah, I want you to marry a prostitute. And by the way, she's not going to quit her whoring around. That's what it says in the book. Right? And the message to God's people was your idolatry Is like you committing adultery on me. I'm the one and only God. And to to tell that message, to give that message, he did it through the life of Hosea, who married a prostitute who kept having kids, right? And then she would go back and leave, and he'd go purchase her back. And so it was this message of redemption and of, of, you know, follow me, me alone, be with me alone. Or then you have Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet who, for uh, over a year, laid in his front yard. So, like, people would walk by, and here he is laying there, right? And then he's laying on the other side, and then he's cooking his breakfast over poo, right? Um, And so you're watching this guy, and then one day you walk by, and he's digging a hole, and he he had a wood fence around his yard, and he's digging a hole and crawling through it, and he'd crawl, right? This is how God gave messages often through his prophets in elaborate, in, in interesting ways that made people look and go, what does this imagery mean? This is similar. So here's my point with that, though. The message of a prophecy always initially applied to the original audience using imagery they would understand. This is huge because, at least in my lifetime, many read the book of Revelation through American eyes, right? In the year 2022, now they read it through American eyes and go, Oh, this is what it means. This was not written to us, it's written for us, it applies but it wasn't written to us. So one of these things, uh, you see one of the plagues of locusts, right? That's going to come out in the book of Revelation. There's this plague of locusts. Well, again, when I was in high school, there was a, a, well, that's probably Apache helicopters because Apache, they make a sound and they go and they look like locusts. Nope. (laughs) a first century, anybody had no idea what a helicopter, So, so no, proper hermeneutics, meaning how we study the Bible, means that cannot be an Apache helicopter, right? So that helps us as we read to go, what was intended by the writer? What did God intend the writer to say and for us or the original audience to understand and then for us to apply it? So we have to understand the imagery, which the first century Greek person should be able to understand. So look at verse 4, because now we're looking at the audience. Revelation 1, 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So who is writing this? John. But who's it from? It's from God. So you see the Father. I mean, that's the beginning. God the Father. The one who who was, who is, who is to come. That's God the Father. He refers to Jesus. And then he refers to the seven spirits of God. That's confusing. How many spirits does God have? (laughs) Right? Right? Well, I'll tell you, this is one of those imageries we can understand. The number seven, if you read Revelation, seven is repeated over and over and over and over, right? There's the number of the beast, six, six, six. Ooh, but God's number seven, 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 right? What's, what's the number seven? It is the number of completeness or perfection. And so that was a well-known understanding for them at that time. Seven means complete. Why? Well, the first is God created the earth in seven days, Right, He created it in six days, the seventh day he rested, seventh, complete, done. And so that number can be literal, but it sometimes maybe, right? But it is absolutely figurative, image, meaning what are the seven spirits of God? It means all of Him. So it's the Holy Spirit, completely, fully, right? Not that there's, God doesn't have seven different spirits, right? But this is speaking of completeness. So this message is from. The whole Godhead, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, going to who? The seven churches, right? These seven churches in Asia Minor. And there's, there's going to be a letter to each of those seven churches. Why seven, right? Why didn't he write to three churches, right? Why didn't he write to all of them? Why seven? Again, completeness. So the purpose of this was, it was to send to those seven churches. And there are specific messages to those seven churches in the first century, but they also apply to the other churches. So this was intended to go and be passed around. So again, seven, because it should go to all the churches, right? And the things you see in these specific churches really apply in many churches even today. So again, the audience is Greek Christians in the first century, not Americans in 2022. Is it for us? Absolutely. But that should help us understand how to read it. So again, it applies to us, but not written to us. Now, look at the first image, because here's the question, all right? The the book of Revelation is most often used in this, like, apocalypse. Again, read the newspaper and look what's happening, and is that the mark of the beast? And is that, you know, the the Antichrist, all these things. Is that the main point of this book? Let's look at the first vision. Revelation 1, 12 to 16, this first image. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. What's this first image? This is Jesus Christ. And it is imagery. Is that what John saw? Quite possibly, but why did God show him that? To say some things, right? When we get to heaven, is Jesus going to be walking around with a sword out of his mouth? No, <laughs> right? It's an image, and it, it's pointing to the image. Elsewhere in scripture, you see that the word of God is as sharp as a two-edged sword, right? Speaking about what God speaks. So that's what this, that little piece of the imagery means. But who's the focus? Jesus. This prophecy was given to reveal things we need to know about the person and work of Jesus. That's really important. It's not given primarily to look at the end, and count and go, ooh, Jesus come back this day, right? Ooh, that's this, that's this. Primarily, we're to learn some things about Jesus, who he is and what he does. Now, a couple more insights. We're going to look at just some pieces to the first letter. So it says to the seven churches. He's going to write to each church specifically. We're just going to read a little bit from the first one, which will enlighten some of the others. And you can read those on your own this week. Chapter 2, 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So here's this first message, which really kind of is a precursor to the rest, right? Do you remember when you first came to know the Lord? Maybe for you it was like a week ago. Maybe it was 30 years ago. But do you remember recognizing sin, right? Looking in the mirror, realizing you're a sinner, realizing that you deserve eternal death and hell. You deserve punishment. But then coming to that knowledge that, wow, God loved us so much. He took on flesh. Jesus died on the cross, bled, and you read through what he did that week, right? And then how he suffered the crown, all that. And that he then rose from the dead for your forgiveness. And what's your response then? Some fear, right? Some humility, love for God, right? It puts you on your knees, a, really a childlike, I need you, God, thank you. But then we have this tendency as, as time goes on to move past that, right? God's grace becomes maybe less potent to us, His mercy may be less significant, right? That love relationship moves and we get distracted. We get distracted by religion. Unfortunately, we get distracted by the world, right? Moving on. Oh, we have all these cares. We have kids now and job, all this, And we come distracted. And that's what he's telling them. He says, you're doing okay, but, but you've left your first love. You might even be doing all these good religious things. But do you love me? Like put all that aside. It's, it's me and you. I died for you. I love you. I want you to follow me. Let's, let's just start with that, right? And so we get distracted. This applies to us big time. And he says, forget all that for a minute and return to your first love. And what does he tell him to do? Repent. Repent and return to your first love. That is a great message in this book. Repent and come back to me. Repent and come back to me. Why? Because the end is near. That's how it began at the very beginning, right? The end is near. The end is near. So repent. Don't be distracted. The main point, right? So we look at the newspaper <laughs> again, you know, and we read, uh, you know, abort, right on the front page, uh, stuff about abortion and the great evils that we have in society, you know. And then here's Putin again. So I mean, we can really read this and go, oh my goodness, there's all these signs. Is that what it means? Well, here's where the beginning of this say what is that really in the Bible? Maybe, but that's not the main point of Revelation. Yet that's the main way it's used today. This is a great quote. The major thrust of Revelation is not sociopolitical, but theological. John is more concerned with countering the heresy that was creeping into the churches toward the close of the first century than in addressing the political situation. So if we mainly read Revelation with eyes of of sociopolitics, right? Politics and what's happening in the world, we're doing it incorrectly, that's not why it was written. That's not the way God wanted it to be used. Uh, you ever have a pool noodle? Yeah, you know, we have one of those above-ground pools and, and, and those, you know, cool pool noodles. What are those for? Right? We get a pool noodle. It's to float on, right? You can sit on it or somebody like me, three of them, you know, to sit and keep you afloat. But how do you always end up using a pool noodle? You end up hitting somebody with it, right? right? Because you hold the thing and you're like, this is kind of like a soft sword and Whack, right? That's not the way it's intended to be used, but that's the way we keep using it. The book of Revelation is similar. How was it intended to be used? It's intended to be used for hope, for for doctrine and theology, for encouragement in these end times. The the end is near. We're in the end times. That's what it's used for. But yet, we keep using it to whack somebody, right? We keep using it to, to predict and look around and what's happening. And instead, we use it for fear and anger, Right? And us versus them stuff rather than what it's intended to. So, my goal today is that in the Bible, there's some things in here, but how does it affect us? That is not the way God wants it to affect us. What is the central event in the book of Revelation? Think about that for a minute. Right? We think of apocalypse and all. What's the central event? Well, it's got to be the rapture of the church, right? Right? When everybody goes up, right? Before the seven year tribulation. No, it's got to be the Antichrist. Right, And when the Antichrist shows up and, and does something in the temple, uh, wait, uh, wh- what is it? Jesus' return. It's got to be Jesus' return. You know what the central event is in the book of Revelation? The central event in the book of Revelation is not future. It's past. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The central event in the book of Revelation is Jesus' death and resurrection. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 5. After these, the message to the seven churches, and before maybe some of this other imagery, chapter 5 comes along, and is beautiful. Listen to this. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth Look at that whole beautiful chapter highlighting Jesus, the Lamb of God, who died for us and rose to redeem us. And the response is the worship of God's people, the worship of everything to him. That's the central event in the book of Revelation. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love verse 9. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. I mean, Jesus' death is good enough to save people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And then it goes on, and we see great imagery throughout the rest of the book. Some of it is very confusing, very, and you're going to have lots of debates of what it means. But what's the theme? The theme is Jesus' death and resurrection and the ransoming of his people. Is there a seven-year tribulation at the end? Maybe. Maybe. But a lot of people disagree on some of that. And I would say this, throughout the last 2,000 years, there are a lot of people who would have said, we're in that great tribulation right now. Just ask Christians in Afghanistan right now, Christians in China right now. There were more martyrs last century than every century before added together. Christians are being killed even today around the world. North Korea is active right now, right? So this idea of tribulation, why? I don't want to offend anybody, but, but why did it become so popular? This is just at the end? Well, it came from Americans who we've been pretty good for a long time, right? And so we're not in tribulation. This is all later, must be later. Or maybe this is talking about Christians in tribulation through those 2,000 years and until Christ returns. Again, is there a seven-year tribulation? Maybe. I can make a really good argument for it. I can also make a really good argument against it. Is there a 1,000-year reign of Christ at the end before this battle of Armageddon? Maybe. I can make a good case for it. I can make a good case against it, too. Right? Some of these things are just not super clear. Some things are clear, right? So, so here's the, say what, is this in the Bible? There are doctrine things that we must stand on, we must believe. Jesus was born to a virgin. We talked about that one, right? Creation, how you know, God created with the word, not evolution. These are central things. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Central, right? We are saved by faith, not by works. Central. How Jesus returned, Jesus' return, central, He is coming back, and when he does, he will set up his rule and reign. That is central. How he does it, not central, right? How he does it is very secondary, and we should hold that loosely because there are great, godly, intelligent theologians that, that have different responses to it of how to read some of this. But what's helpful is when we understand the purpose. Alan Johnson writes this says, the writer desires to encourage authentic Christian discipleship by explaining Christian suffering and martyrdom in the light of how Jesus' death brought victory over evil. That's really helpful. Why is it that every generation since this was written could read their newspapers and look around and go, I see it. Every generation could do it. We're no different, right? I mean, just go back a generation and you've got Hitler, Antichrist right there right? Stalin, Antichrist. Go back further. Uh, uh, Napoleon, uh, Alexander the Great. You can go just down the list. Every generation could read Revelation and look around and go, I see it. Why? Because the purpose is, yes, things are happening. Yes, suffering, but the Christian can endure. Jesus overcame. We can endure whatever this is. And the end is near. So yes, the the, the end is close. He's going to come back. And in every century, Christians should read this and learn a few things, four things specifically. One, suffering is normal and persecution to be expected. When you read the book of Revelation, you should land on persecution is to be expected, right? But for us, we are so scared of it. Oh, my goodness. Christians in the United States are so scared of the suffering to come. And maybe we should be, right? I don't look forward to it, but we should expect it. Right? We've we've been protected. So it's normal. Two, Jesus has already attained or obtained victory through his death and resurrection. We will suffer, but Jesus already won the battle. That's a message we need to get from this. It's already won. So three, repent, trust Jesus today, and then every day after, God's in control. And then finally, Jesus is coming back, and he will judge evil and establish his perfect kingdom physically. So have hope. Right? However, you go through those four things, every generation can grab and pull and apply, and every generation needs it. Every generation needs this. Yet today, many read this and look around, right? Socio, political, politics, all this, and what happens? They get angry, they get scared, they get divisive. That's not the intent. That's not the intent of this at all. Uh, so many, you know, they get absorbed, Christians get absorbed with the book of Revelation. They see what's going to come, what they, how they read it. And so we need to get a weapons cache, right? We need to dig a thing so that we're ready for the end. We Christians will be able to fight and keep our food. That's never in the Bible. A Christian's response is never to set up your weapons cache so you can fight the other side. No. What was the song we were just singing two songs ago, right? The battle belongs to the, the Lord. I fight on my knees right? So so does that mean we're pacifists? Absolutely not, right? We should should vote. We should be active uh, in in ways that cause society to to flourish, right? Uh, We should do those things. But to be ready in the end, we read this and we get scared. Ooh, those are the bad guys. And so uh, be ready to fight them. That's not the point. But why does the American church do this so much? Why are Christians so dang gullible? We could edit that out of the video probably. But it's true. Christians, the ones that love the book of Revelation and get into all these conspiracy theories are also the same ones who get super political, but yet at the same time are scared and angry, not abiding in Christ, not experiencing the joy. The purpose of this is hope. The purpose of this is joy. And listen to this. Most, when you read the stu- you know, uh, theologians talking about the book of Revelation, you know what this book was for? Evangelism. The book was for evangelism in the first century to go look around, right? Let's get active. If the end is near and we look around and we see it, people need to be saved. The judgment is real, and it talks about the judgment. Jesus' return is real, and it's imminent. And so it should put a fire under us to share our faith because the end is near, not a fire under us to build walls and, and against other people. I, does that make sense? If we understand the context of why this was given and written, it's encouraging. Not anger, right? Not frustration, not others, but hope, joy. Guess what? The end is near. Live like it. Live like, the end is near. The book began, by the way, and this was written near the end of the first century, and, and he said the end is near. Well, it's been 2,000 years. Well, the end is still near, right? The end is near the whole time. Jesus' return is imminent, but also, so is your death. So we don't know when when we'll die. We don't know how long it'll last. And in the end comes judgment. And so this is a big deal. So study this book. Now now with this framework, go back, read this book from start to finish with that, and you'll be confused. I I, I promise you. That's okay. Right? That's okay. We have this thing, kind of like the pool noodle. So if you have kids right? Cool, let's get the pool noodles, right? And then they start beating each other. We're done with the pool noodles. Get rid of them, right? We don't have any pool noodles at our house. Uh, We can be tempted to do that with the book of Revelation because it's so abused and so, uh, let's just throw it. Forget it. We're just not even going to look at that. But yet at the end of the book, it says blessed. At the beginning, blessed are those who read. At the end, blessed are those who read. Cursed are those who change anything in it. So we're, we're blessed to say, so go read it. Go study it. Get into it. Play. Is are there going to be some things at the end that align with it? Absolutely, because every generation there's some things that align with it. But let it stir your heart to hope and encouragement, because Jesus has already won the battle. That's the good news. I want to end at the end. uh, Revelation 22: 17. Revelation 22: 17. I love this. How does the book end? The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, come. It ends with an invitation, an invitation to Jesus Christ. Not fear, anger, but an invitation. Jesus has won, and guess what? It's free. The water of life, Jesus himself is free. Come. Come. If you are in here, you don't know Jesus as Lord. Judgment is coming, right? We could walk around with a sign. The end is near. Judgment is coming. Repent today so you don't miss out, right? Believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. Turn to him. Give him your life because he already gave his life to you. And then for the rest of us, for believers, hope, joy, right, right? This is really good news. This is the gospel. Jesus died for you, meaning you have anger, you have fear, turn to Jesus, abide, repent of that, right? Repent of that fear and anger and give it to him and let him fill you with joy. And then you'll look at those people on the other side that you're like, oh, those are antichrist. You'll look at them with compassion as victims of the enemy, not the enemy, right? Your heart, again, should we be active in our society? Yes, we should but then we look at the other side with compassion and love because they need Jesus Christ. I'm going to be in the back. Uh, We're going to worship some more, but after I pray, if you have any questions or or, or if if you're here and you're like, okay, I, I get it. I need Jesus. Please come talk to me. Come pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that your word is so consistent to give us hope, to give us joy. God, there,